Hey, hey, Star Wars fans, it's Gary here from Spark of Rebellion, and we would love for you to listen to all of our brand new episodes when they land every single Saturday. Make sure you follow us on your podcast app of choice or pop over to sparkofrebellion.com forward slash listen. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that via our Patreon. Just head over to sparkofrebellion.com forward slash Patreon and come and join our other patrons. And thank you so much for your continued support. Now, may the force be with you and on to this week's Spark of Rebellion. Hello there. Hello there and welcome to Spark of Rebellion. This is your weekly Star Wars podcast brought to you from a galaxy not so far, far away these days. It's a bit more of a connected world. Not only is this a podcast, but it appears it's now a live stream too, which is fun. This is our first week of going out live on the interwebs, as well as you podcast dudes listening in for when this goes out. Welcome to episode 91. It's great to have you all here, either watching or listening. My name's Gary, one of your co-hosts, and joining me as always is Mr. Marky Mark, who you can now see. So I can't insult him anymore. I can't say I can't say he looks shabby or he, whatever, because you can see him. So the very good looking Mr. Mark. How you doing, buddy? Well, thanks for that. I also like that you implied that um, the internet enables cross-galaxy travel. I like that you, you sort of inferred that. It was like not so much of a galaxy far, far away, because it's all a connected world now. Like, we don't need hyperlanes. We don't need light speed. All you need... Virgin Media 360. Other cable providers do exist. Yeah, BT, as an example. <laughs> plus, plus net. Plus net, yeah. Plus net. Winnersh. Oh, win. <laughs> the possibilities are endless, basically. You've got your Bracknell, Taplow, Winnersh. Yeah, Swaffham. <laughs> yeah, take your pick. <laughs> oh, well, we didn't last long before we got into Welcome to the Office podcast, uh, David Brent of Rebellion, uh, brought to you by Wernham Hogg, uh, right out of Slough. Um, mm. What's your Star Wars week been like, dude? What have you been up to? What's your tipple? Uh, what's your tipple? Me. Yeah. <laughs> Star Wars, dude. Uh, plenty of reading. That's play a bit of catch up. So I started off strong with The Light of the Jedi, which is going to be our review for this week. Started off strong then had a bit of a dip and then the last few days it's like right if i turn up for the first live stream the first proper book review of the podcast and mark's like what are you doing i'm asking you questions you don't know the answer uh, i would be in trouble i'm not going to say i'd be fired maybe <laughs> not sure but yeah if he is the boss <laughs> so i've had to play catch up and i've smashed through the last few chapters um mainly uh last night so yeah mainly a bunch of reading and also um not so much star warsy stuff but um there's been some new marvel action out on disney plus so watching some some wandavision which is very weird peculiar show i can't quite get my head into exactly what that's about just yet but it's fairly cool yeah what about you yeah same i've been watching wandavision uh wonder wandavision wonder do you know barry chuckle used to own a shop near me that is not a lie what was it called? Uh, it's, this is not even a joke. It was just called like Pete's News. You know what I mean? He bought it off Pete. Like, oh, I want like to make a joke out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like, he just owned a news agent. Anyway, um, yeah, I've been watching WandaVision. Apparently that kicks in and changes a little bit today as well. Um, episode four, we'll see about that one. But dude, I, so I finished Light of the Jedi, obviously. And then um, smashed through Fallen Order. So I'm I, like, I never finished it. 
Um, so oh. now I'm on like the last mission, which is really hard. So it keeps telling me that I can that I can change my difficulty. Like that Taran Malikus guy, dude, that guy was a, like, he he took some beating, that guy. Um, so that was what I've been doing. And then I read this other book, which I was like, oh, this looks really good. But it took ages to get it. <laughs> so Star Wars Myths and Fables. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I reckon I probably read it in about two hours. <laughs> I was reading it in Ben was, and, and Sam was like, that's big writing. I was like, yeah, I didn't choose it because it's got big writing, did I? It's just got big writing. She was like, well, why are the margins so big? I was like, well, I didn't choose it because it's got big margins, did I? And then she was like, well, that line height's really high. I was like, right, I get it. All right, it's a kid's book, probably. So anyway, I finished that, which is <laughs> <Probably>. weird. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what, dude? My wife's the same. My wife's a massive bookworm. She will read through. I'll read like a book that will take me seven, eight days maybe a bit longer to read, depending on the line height and if it's got pictures or not. Whereas she'll, she'll download a book at like 6pm in the evening and then the next morning she'll be like, that book was good. Like, what, what do you mean that book was good? What, the first few chapters? She's like, no, no, the book, the whole book was good. So I, know, I feel you, I feel you. The other half just, you know, a little bit critical there, but, you know, we'll let that one go. Yeah, it's like just, you know, having a little dig. You don't have to, have to you don't, don't have a dig. You don't have to have a dig. It's fine. I understand it's big text. Oh, but anyway, that's been the week, dude. It's been all right. It's been a busy Star Wars week for stuff like that. Hey, I put some stuff on the news as well for next week's episode. He's at it again, isn't he? You're not talking about Mr. D, Mr. DC. Uh, uh, Doomcock. Oh, I Bloody Doomcock. We'll get to that next week. <laughs> i tell you what, though. You did, um, you did say about um, a Star Wars week. There has been a bit of a an influx of of YouTubers talking about stuff that's going down at Lucasfilm, but for different reasons. You know, a couple of weeks ago we spoke about, I think it was um, the whole thing about Favreau and Filoni kind of molding their own Star Wars storylines and everything based around the fandom and what they want versus hatred and everything towards Kathleen Kennedy. There seems to be this stuff kicking off now between the um, story group members and kind of relevant to this week i guess but the story group members and people who have been involved in things like light of the jedi and stuff like that like a real backlash online where some of the authors and some of the people in the story group are like calling fans out and having a go at them and yeah asking for some youtube youtubers to be deplatformed and all that jazz it's a it's a battlefield out there at the minute dude bloody yeah it is man there's a lot of that stuff going on like a lot of um it's like people are standing up for it. Like there was, there was, I mean, that is something for next week with the news, but like there was a little bit of kind of racial abuse going on in the Star Wars world this week, which we'll get into next week. And it's just, you just think, what are you doing, you asshole? Like, what, why are you, why is this even a thing? Like, why do you think this is all right? And then, but then you kind of, you kind of juxtapose it, you know, juxtaposition records against like the D platform calls and, and, Dude, what a tumultuous place the internet is at the minute for stuff like this. And I do think a lot of it stems from fans just thinking that because they like something and spend a bit of money on it, they can do what they want. And like, what? what is that? At least start with, and then Mr. Toad. But the point is, it just, it <laughs> comes across as just, like, it's just childish, man. Like, just, we're all just grown-ups, you know? Just oh, act we. like grown-ups. <laughs> Are we, though? <laughs> 
We printed this out for John. Like, we're probably not the best advert for we're all grown-ups, I must admit. Yeah, all right. Yeah. If you're watching the live stream now, the fun thing about this is, so if you listen to the podcast, of course, um, you'll know the bants that Gaz and I have, but um, now what you can see is actual fact. So what Gaz has just said, like it's not like he's got all his toys in the background and I've got all my toys in the background. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Right, Tim. Toys. <laughs> Saturday. <laughs> right. Before we waffle anymore, let's talk about our review for this week, shall we? Which is the first book in the series of books and other media that's going to kick off or has kicked off the High Republic era of Star Wars. And the first book being The Light of the Jedi, the one that Mark and I have speed read, or I've speed read recently so sped red sped red he's a sped redder (laughs) thing is let me break it down the jedi are pretty much at the height of their game at this point this is a couple of hundred years before the phantom menace and all that nonsense right so they're at the height of their of their thing like they're they're viewed throughout the galaxy as these these uh, like a mixture of badass dudes and peacekeepers and you know, they've got their whole religious thing going on. And they're more like assistants to the Republic at this point. So the Republic and the government, everything seems to be fairly cool. Everything's running smooth. We've got the, the Chancellor, Lena So, doing it, you know, everything's cool. There's no, it's a peaceful time. Anyway, the story introduces, and by the way, we should caveat this with, of course, there will be spoilers as we go through this. So anyone that's not read it or doesn't want to know, just bear that in mind. So there, it introduces a new a new uh, band of baddies. Now, I don't know how to say this. It's either the Nihil or the Nihil. I don't know. I'm going to say Nihil, just because it sounds cool. So the Nihil. And these dudes, they have this special power that has been given to them by um, a force-sensitive user that enables them to manipulate the hyperspace lanes, basically. And they have these networks called paths, and they're able to jump in and out of hyperspace. And the reason why these guys are so so cool is they're very they're super dangerous because they can hop out of hyperspace, you know, tear the place up, do what they need to do, and then disappear again back through hyperspace through the path. So they're really badass um, new sort of villains and baddies. What happens is they they intercept this ship, the Legacy Run, and it breaks up in hyperspace. And then all of the different sections of the ship, as they naturally come out of hyperspace, they're traveling at such a speed that if they interact with or impact anything, such as a planet or a moon, they will likely destroy it. So that's how the story kicks off. Um, and it gets labeled later on as the Great Disaster, this thing that threatens this planet and its moons, the Hetzel system. So it's down to the Jedi, essentially, and everybody to stop these fragments from impacting and killing everybody. And there's a bit of a twist as we go through that one of those fragments has got survivors on it. So the Jedi have to use the force to manipulate everything and work in, con- in conjunction with the Republic people to to save these people. At the, whole, at the same time this is going on, we see some relationships between these new Jedi characters that we're introduced to, plus we see some some sort of infighting and hierarchical uh, hierarchical uh, underhandedness going on within the Night Hill. So you've got the leader of that guy, uh, Marchian Rowe, I think is how you say his name. He's the I. This is all based around storm terminology. He's the I. And then you have Tempest leaders and clouds and storms. And they're all trying to get up one on each other and there's all infighting and stuff like that. So you have that storyline 
that runs through. And it culminates all at the end with most of the people being saved. The new, the 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 current leader, Martian Rowe, has got this new direction he wants to take the Nihil in. He wants to basically say, right, we're not just confined to the outer rim anymore. Uh, we're going to go and, you know, wipe the galaxy clean and do what we want to do. And uh, and the story ends with um, one of the Jedi Knights who has got promoted to Master throughout the story, Elzar Mann. He has this vision at the end of the story, very dark vision about all the Jedi being slaughtered and tortured and stuff like that. So it'll be fun to see where that goes. But that's like the overall uh, crux of the story. So dude, uh, off the bat then, this is, this is an important story, right? Because this is going to kick off a whole new era as we move away from the Skywalker saga. So a lot of pressure on this one. What did you think? Yeah, good question, dude. I was, um, like, I was instantly hooked by it. I think what they did was um, was really clever, you know, throwing in something that is so reliable in its behavior as the hyperspace lanes and the way that we understand hyperspace in the context of storytelling and, and, and threw that into disarray. So I think that got in, me instantly hooked. And, and, you know, whilst it calmed down to a degree towards the end, you know, sort of the last half of it sort of got a little bit more steady and switched more to potential character development and, you know, setting up stories um, for the future. I don't, it didn't really lose my attention, which I've seen a lot of people online saying, well, this was a really subpar entry and it was it didn't really capture me and there was not that much character development. And But I... I I was fine with it, man. I really quite enjoyed it. Like, I really... And I, will, I know we'll get into this more, but I, I really enjoyed the new characters, which I didn't know if I would, because there's... Like, when we talked about Alphabet Squadron, there was, like, 50 new characters to get your head into. Um, but, yeah, it got me, dude. It was probably the the, the, the book most recently that I've zipped through um, at a speed that was really indicative of how much I enjoyed it. So I, I really liked it, man, and, and I can't help but compare it to, like... Probably A New Hope's a little unfair because that no one expected that to do what it did, but like Phantom Menace, you know, which is supposed to be the first chapter in a larger story. I think when you put it in that context, it was a really strong start. Um, and I know we'll get to some more specifics, but yeah, I, I was I was all right with it. I, I really enjoyed it, man. What about you? Yeah, a similar thing, dude. I thought it was... Um, I was worried a little bit because it's such a big shift in what we're used to throughout star wars in terms of characters and locations and stuff and the good thing is uh, conversely to that is it doesn't get weighted down or doesn't try to um bring in lots of well-known names and everything to try and boost and and prop up some of the story it was really those little nuggets where you saw uh, people talking about other characters there was a few scenes where some of the jedi are talking about yoda but that that's all it was was just a passing reference it wasn't really a let's talk about yoda in depth and then there was some various planets that were mentioned obviously coruscant gets a i mentioned quite a few times because that's still where the main um jedi temple is and all the government and everything like that um but then they also branch out don't they so that part of the story is the 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 government are really keen to open up this new space station, the Starlight Beacon, which is going to be placed in the Outer Rim, and so they can oversee everything out there. Because it's a bit of a, as we know, the Outer Rim's a bit of a, like a, almost a lawless area where just, you know, people are just making up their own laws almost, and it's a bit of a dangerous place. I don't want to get this thing set up, and there's going to be a new Jedi Temple there. So 
new stuff, but then like the odd little passing of other planets, mentions of things that, that are familiar. And I think that's for me the one of the cool things about this story is that it felt familiar. It felt like it was Star Wars. And this goes, uh, I'll, I'll mention um, a couple of interviews that um, that Charles Saw has done with some outlets where he said that a lot of the things were based around existing rules. It's like, even though we're setting this story in a brand new era and with brand new characters, there's still all of these rules that need to be obeyed throughout Star Wars. I think that was Pablo Hidalgo, who they leaned on the most from the story group. So every time we talk about hyperspace or Jedi or Jedi lightsabers or anything like that, it all feels very Star Warsy. But at the same time, it's got this new, new, new feel to it. If that makes sense. It's familiar, but it feels it feels new. And you can also get the sense that because this is set quite a bit before the prequel trilogies, that a lot of the stuff isn't quite as advanced yet. So there's a few things like the the Jedi all have these unique little ships called vectors, and the way that they operate those is they clamp their lightsaber down on the controls, and then you know they that's how they get rocking and rolling. So that's very different to what we see even in the Phantom Menace, where they have all these loads of different ships at their disposal, and they've got these little hyperspace um, sort of add-ons to them and all that stuff, and it's, that sort of runs throughout the story where um, you you get the feeling that things just aren't quite there yet that we would expect for all of those, that all techie stuff and Jedi Knight stuff. But but dude, I, in a nutshell, I, really, I did really, really enjoy it actually. And I'm so relieved at that because the last thing I wanted was to be like, oh God, this is only the first one. You know, this is not going in a good direction. So yeah, I thought it was a nice breath of fresh air as well that we didn't have to talk about Luke all the time and Anakin and Darth Vader and all that stuff. It was a nice, a nice change of direction. It was good. Yeah, I agree, man. And it was, even when they had to handle Yoda, like, you know, Yoda's sort of one of that, those people that are, uh, are one of those beings that are on the periphery because they can be, you know, it's, it's purposely set like that. It's not the old Republic because, you know, Star Wars is much more in the psyche of consumers now versus what it was back in the day when the old EU was around in, in that you you are very able to basically enjoy something independently, but also kind of consumers want that little bit of connectivity. So I think by setting it in that time period, they've given themselves this kind of, this ability to, if they need to just inject a little bit later, they can just say, well, here's a, here's a standalone tale about what Yoda's doing. And it just reignites the marketability of it. Um, but it, it was it was interesting because it was like, so, you know, they, they name drop Yoda a couple of times. And I'm thinking, well, what's Yoda going to be doing at this time point? And I was like, okay, actually, that's quite interesting because he's, they dealt with it interestingly. Like they, they, they went, they went very painfully clear that Yoda is still like the man. You know, even in this generation, he's like the most powerful there is. You know, they, they did that a couple of times when it was, I think it was when they were pulling together at the beginning to stop the um, the Tibana gas. Um, and towards the end where she said something like, I can't remember what it was, but it was something like, you know, maybe only Master Yoda is the one that could do this on his own sort of thing. Um, but then they kind of got him out of the way. It was like, oh, wait a sec, he's on the council. And then it was, oh yeah, Yoda's on sabbatical. He's kind of doing what he wants. And that was quite interesting because it was like, well, even Yoda needs to chill out. You know, I, I know it was sort of just a way of getting him out of the way and, and, and sort of 
proving that he's deep into the, the the kind of education of the younglings and so on. But I'm just basically like imagining Yoda now just on a beach somewhere. You know what I mean? I, just chilling out. You know what I mean? <laughs> Margarita I need. You know what I mean? Just just getting smashed. He's got a few of like, he's got Yaddle knocking around. He's chilling out with her. They're having a little bit of a good time. And it's, it's interesting to have that character on the sidelines because it's the Force Awakens problem with Luke. You know, the second you bring Yoda in, he's the man that you focus on. He's the one that can sort it. He's the wisdom. He's the power. He's the lightsaber um, dualist. So I think it was good that they did that. Now, one thing that I thought was interesting that I thought you might be might be um, kind of picked up on as well was um, we've always kind of heard about this order, this Jedi order, this order of space wizards. And as I was playing through Fallen Order this week, it was like, wait a minute, there's 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 Cal Ketsis, there's Ahsoka, there's Ezra, Kanan was, as he's been knocking about, there's Luke, there's Leia, Obi-Wan was there, there was Yoda, like, there's that Tyron Malikos guy that was a, just a nightmare to beat on Fallen Order. <laughs> like, is Luke really the last Jedi? So then, when you put this into context, the, 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 the light of the Jedi, the, the, the High Republic stuff, suddenly... All that stuff we've been told about the Order being massive, you get a sense of it. And suddenly, even the fact that there's a hundred Jedi or a thousand Jedi pales in comparison to the fact that there was a hundred, hundred and fifty Jedi working on one mission on one ship at one time. You know, it puts everything into perspective. It brings the scale that we've always heard about, but we've never really in this new canon really experienced. And I thought that was an interesting perspective that it does it does bring Order 66 and the magnitude of that into some sort of um, perspective. Does that kind of make sense? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, defo. Yeah. And that's what's cool about the story. It gives us a different perspective on what we're used to with the Jedi. So we, we're used to seeing the, the fall of the Jedi because that, that's, what's, that's what was surrounding the story of the fall of Anakin at the same time. You know, those two things almost run in parallel. So we're very used to seeing the um, the Jedi in decline. And then with the OT, and uh, we're used to seeing them pretty much non-existent. And then with the sequel trilogy, we're used to seeing it potentially back on the rise, depending on how you want to view that, that stuff. Uh, pun intended. So it's very cool to see... Yeah, it, it's cool to see them... Oh, because we we know of them like through other books, mainly in the uh, the EU and stuff, we know about the Jedi being this uh, this huge order of you know loads of them, and we only see a handful of them in the story, but there's potentially loads of them knocking about. So that that was one of the um, uh, one of the cool things that really underpin most of the chapters throughout the story. Actually, you always had this. Um, and there's even there's even a conversation between a couple of people. Uh, I think it's towards the end with the, the chancellor, and she's talking to a few other people, and you know she's uh, so he, he's he's extremely grateful basically to what the Jedi have done and helped, how they've helped out with the disaster and everything. And oh, I love the Jedi actually; they're very cool. And throughout most chapters, the only ones that they don't really get involved in is when we're talking. They're talking just about the Nihil directly, but all the other ones are, 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 other than that. You've always got the Jedi presence there throughout everything, even if they're not going nuts and taking people out with their vectors or whatever, or they're rescuing that family that gets kidnapped, whatever it might be. 
they're always there. They're always this sort of reassuring presence throughout everything. And that's, they're there for the, the government when they're making big decisions and the chancellor and so on. And they're there in the small little bits as well. And we also have the, um, the relationship between those Jedi is very interesting as well. So there was one, there was one reviewer actually that, that put a question to Charles saw that said, was it interesting to write the Jedi to have having feelings for one another? And he was like, well, they don't really have feelings as such, but in the same way that you saw the Jedi in the prequel trilogy, they still have to take the vows, still have to take, you know, all of that stuff and, and, and go through their Jedi lives in the same way. But you do get the feeling though, that the relationships are a lot more close knit in this story, the way that the Jedi have been portrayed. Um, Cause really the only thing we see in that respect in the movies is um, Anakin and Obi-Wan. Really? That's the only sort of real thing. So it's interesting to see um, those relationships as well. And we had some really good characters. I really liked the um, um, Loden Greatstorm. He seemed like a really cool, the, the, uh, the, the Twi'lek uh, Jedi. He seemed very cool. And his Padawan as well, uh, Bell Zatifar, I think his name was. Uh, they were my faves because he was just so, so badass, man. And uh, there was a really cool um, chapter in a book where he just basically pushes him off a cliff. He's like, you need to learn to, um, to con- you know, use the force, basically. Bit cheesy, but use the force so you can control your landing. And he, you know, he screws it up a couple of times, but then it comes to fruition later. He saves that young kid a bit later on. So, yeah, man, uh, the, the Jedi, have, they're portrayed in a very, very similar but interesting way in this. And I was really in for the relationships as well. I can't wait to explore those more in future stories and comics and so on. Yeah, I, I agree, man. And I, I do think it lends itself very well. It's almost like a retcon to why, you know, in The Phantom Menace and beyond, you know, to Revenge of the Sith and even through that, the Jedi were at the end of their glory years, the, the end of their power, you know, it, not the power as such, but the, the end of their ability to be the best version of the order, you know, it, and it, it, we've ne- again, we've never seen that. We've just been, we've just kind of told that. And so this, this glorious peacekeeping approach that they've got really, really did help with that. And it, it, it's really nice to kind of position that against what we currently see. Um, and I think they kind of did that pretty well throughout the book as well. You know, there were a few parallels that I noticed with um, Hetzal and Alderaan. You know, you had, that was a very clear parallel between, look, here's what here's what the Jedi could have done if they could have fixed it. They could have saved a system. But also the Death Star and Starlight Beacon, you know, this this great big force of um, support and this great big brand piece for the, the people in power to be able to latch to and say, this is one of our works, this is one of our great things. And the fact that, you know, Chancellor uh, So was very clear on saying this is a beacon of positivity versus the Death Star that was this beacon of fear and terror. And and it's, they, they, they very carefully constructed some of that stuff out so that there were parallels between them. And I think a lot of that is why it felt very familiar. And one, one other thing that I thought was really interesting was the hyperspace lane stuff. You know, we talked about it very briefly earlier on, just this idea that, like what a fascinating thing to hook to because it's just something that you take for granted. It's just it's just travelling on a road um, and it's something that is taken for granted in the Star Wars universe. But then suddenly, actually, we're seeing it before it was fully fleshed and fully formed. 
You know, this is the Romans making the roads. This is Henry Ford making his car. You know, this is um, these uncharted, you know, kind of, you know, the seven seas where the pirates are and all that sort of good stuff. Um, And it's fallible. You know, there are scary things that will happen if something goes wrong. You will blow out of a system and and, and you will will start to just crash into Hetzel and Dantoid and all these other planets and kill 1.2 1.2 billion people. Like these are real interesting consequences for something that we've just taken for granted. And I thought that was a really interesting thing to to kind of hook to. Um, and what I thought was really curious was just how they'd position the Nile, and I don't know how you say that, like Nile or Nile, whatever. How they'd position those as having, and we'll get down. Obviously, we'll get to the why and the how they've got these paths, but how they position them as having this access that didn't exist anywhere else, you know, because if you look back through history, the people that control the trade routes, the people that control transport and travel and logistics ultimately seem to wield the power or can at least usurp the power. Um, And again, that was just fascinating. Like, what a thing to introduce. They didn't have to do that. It could have been any one of a thousand different, more simplistic things to do. But I thought the paths and the, the fallibility of hyperspace was a really interesting thing. And then to introduce that mystery with, you know, we'll get to the family, I'm sure, who were charting hyperspace. But, the, you know, the people charting the hyperspace lanes. Just a fascinating thing to introduce that I don't think... I can't imagine anyone guessed that would come. You know, I don't, I don't imagine it was something that would be in the psyche of the, the, the average person a Star Wars fan to go, well, I'd like to know more about hyperspace, but suddenly it's interesting. So I thought that was really cool, man. Yeah, and the old, the old hyperspace stuff. It, you're, you're absolutely right, though, because we take that for granted throughout pretty much all of Star Wars. It's like you want to travel from A to B, and it's more than five minutes down the road. Then you whack up the old hyperspace engine and off you go. And I, I think the only, the only way it was, because it, it could be viewed as just one of those um, just sci-fi techie things that were that, that were introduced throughout the whole, you know, the world of Star Wars and loads of other things. But it wasn't. It was made first of all. It was made to be a wee bit of a comical thing because they used the Falcon, didn't they? It was always breaking whenever it was about to jump to hyperspace. It was always breaking down and stuff. And then when they finally got to hyperspace, it was that very cool effect and stuff like that. So that was the only way that. Well, the only times that they dived into it, really, they just made a bit of a comedic moment out of it. So you're right, they take it for granted. And then when we have it in this, when we, because it's mentioned a lot, let's not get away from it, the hyperlanes thing, the hyperspace and the paths, they're met, it's, it's all the way through the book. It's, it's, it's pretty much a prime, you know, storytelling thread throughout the book. And um, what I found fascinating in the same way as you was, they could have easily oversimplified that and just used it as it is now. It's just a, you know, a series of routes or whatever for people to get to A to B. But they didn't. It was like, hold on, we have to remember that with this, you know, X amount of time before all the hyperlanes were properly mapped out and everything like that. And there was a little bit of um, uh, a bit of a question mark, wasn't there? Because they go to see this couple. I think they're on vacation on Naboo or something. I think it's Naboo. It's the, um, the, I think they're members of, is it Santeca? I think it mm-hmm. is. And these dudes are like experts in hyperspace and the Jedi go and see them. 
And then they had the Jedi have this little mind conversation between the two of them. And they're like, mm, I don't think this dude's being truthful. And I think that alluded to this other person. Um, what's her face or his face? Oh, Mary, Maria. Uh, Mary Santeca, who's working with the, the Nihil to, you know, a bit of an expert. And then she can, or they can, you know, look at these additional paths, which nobody else knows about. So the whole thing yeah, is fascinating, man. It's, um, but that's just all credit to the author though. It's like how, you know, who would have thought that you could take something as basic and just something that's just embedded in Star Wars that nobody thinks about and then just use it as this really big thread throughout the story in the book. It's, um, yeah, I'm with you on that, dude. It was fascinating. And, and what was good about it as well was that they, I think they did something really interesting, which is take the one safe place in all of Star Wars, which is jump to hyperspace. Take that idea from The Last Jedi and the whole, you know, oh, look, it's there in Rogue One. It's one of the missions. It's one of the projects we're working on, the hyperspace uh, tracking. You take that safe place and you, you remove it. And actually, when you look at the final battle and the way that that was fought and ultimately won or lost, depending on your perspective, the, the way that the... Um, the Jedi and the Republic were so wildly unprepared for these small one-kilometer jumps from there to there to there. You know, and I mean, bear in mind a Veneta-class destroyer or or whatever is is over a kilometer long. This is this is ship to ship. Um, you know, it, it, it was a very interesting way of disarming these all-powerful space wizards that can control these vectors that ultimately, you know, these are like little flies, they're like little zips, little wasps. They're going to get in behind your shields, and you can't really stop these vectors and until you can by doing something that they've never seen before and jumping behind the shields of, of a Star Destroyer or behind a ship and, 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 and jumping within it. And that was just really interesting to see how they disarmed the tried and tested Jedi mythology. You know, they disarmed the fact that these vectors can do things that we've never seen before. And they've raised the ability of these vectors and then somehow just managed to bring them back into being fallible because they've never seen this other stuff before. Um, so that was, again, a really nice play on that one. Um, and there were a couple of really interesting kind of more, more interesting pieces of that as well. Um, you know, how they, how they were able to, um, control the paths, how, you know, the path engines that we saw in the ships. And it raises so many questions like what happened to these paths and why in 400 years don't we have access to these paths? And it was just... The way they structured this Martian Rowe character, you know, that's clearly not his real name. It's it was it was very interesting because we know that they don't exist in the future, or at least we don't think they do. Um, what do you think of the Santeca inclusion? Because obviously, Law Santeca is is the guy that Poe Dameron goes to see in Force Awakens. Is the old uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Max von Sydow, isn't it? You know, the guy that was traveling around the galaxy with Luke. I, I didn't expect that, man. I didn't expect to see the Santeca name thrown in there. Yeah, that was a nice little a nice little inclusion, actually, because uh, obviously when The Force Awakens came out, there was a huge question mark about who is this guy? Because he never gets explicitly named or anything. So you had to do a bit of digging and find out who this character was. But that's just another strength, though, to having the story the story group overseeing all these things, because I'm not sure if, if, um, if Charles was like, actually, yeah, we should put this character in, or if somebody like Pablo Hidalgo is like, actually... If you want to link some of these things together, I know just the character, you know, just the thing to do that. So it's a, you can tell that where it concerns things like that, introducing characters and so on, that's one of the, the, the biggest strengths, I would say, is having, um, having a story group 
And to a wider degree, this whole Project Luminous thing where all these authors and so on, they're all in it together. So they're all talking about this stuff and bouncing ideas of each other, I suppose. But yeah, that was cool, dude. And it was, um, and uh, going back to the, the Nihil, we, we're going to have to clarify this, dude. The Nihil, the Nihil, I don't know. Um, Nihil sounds like Nihil Buchanan. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. a, hello, I'm the talking head. Welcome <laughs> to Art Attack with, with Nihil Buchanan. <laughs> PVA glue for days, man. Oh, dude. All over your fingers, everything. Yeah. But there was, um, going back to those guys very quickly, one thing I did like was how ruthless they've been written. These guys are, they're not messing around. So gone are the threat of the Sith for now. We don't have to worry about them. Whoever you are, whatever. These dudes are, they're just in it for for the money, basically. They just want to, you know, loot and pillage and cause destruction and stuff. And the thing that really, that when I was reading it, I was like, holy crap, was when that scene that you just mentioned or that chapter you just mentioned where they were jumping in and out of hyperspace and they just crapped over everything. They were even destroying their own ships. I know that was a manipulation by Martin Rowe, but they were destroying their own people, their own ships, everything, just completing out of chaos. And then the last, uh, I think the penultimate chapter, you really saw just how borderline crazy and insane Martin Rowe is, you know, um, manipulating everything so that um, Kassav was destroyed and all of the ships and so on. And I think he's still got an eye on Lorna D., and the other, the other dude, the other Tempest runner, because I think he suspects that one of them murdered his father. So he's like, you know, he's got this grand plan. So he's almost like a, like a Palpatine type of character, just minus all the dark side Sith stuff. So, but dude, yeah, what a, what a cool um, baddie <laughs> to come up with. And those dudes just really meant like, I'm, I'm, they have to put them in a video game somewhere. They have to. Yeah. Well, he was he was fascinating because he was he was progressively more interesting, and you know towards the end, we're like, "What's that purple rod that he's got? Like, is that some Jedi thing? Is it some Sith thing?" Because he wasn't scared of the Jedi at the end because he had this purple thing, and so there's all that going on. And then this is why you start to see why they've brought people like um, Charles Sewell together with you know every other high quality writer across the board you can see why this is a multimedia multifacet approach because of all this stuff um and, and i think what was interesting about that like you, like you said that was a manipulation you know he was forcing these pilots to kamikaze and kill themselves he was doing it like you said very palpatine-esque it was very much a look what these brave souls did for our nihil cause well that's something palpatine would clearly do um, and it was really interesting to see that it was it, it was PR spin, and I think they did another couple of re- in, things really really interesting um, with that towards the end as well. Number one was this is the reverse rebellion, like this is the Empire and the rebellion reversed. All right, they from a certain point of view, the Nihil believe that they're escaping tyranny. They believe that they're escaping. Um, oppression and the ability to just live free is what they're what they're looking for, and it's it really is like that reverse play on. Wait a sec, the Republic 
you know, maybe freedom isn't all it's cracked up to be. And you can see those themes and those tropes just starting to run through it a little bit. Um, and then down to some concepts as well. Like, dude, the Jedi prison was just genius. That was just a, a just a genius way to imprison a Jedi. Just by battering their empathy with just people in pain around them and clearly not caring any two cents about the people that were there. And if they die, we bring some mourning, we make them suffer. It's all about keeping you, the Jedi, empathetically tired. Um, and, and and it really played off, you know, that Lord and Great Storm, when you when you saw him exercise the Force to throw a marching away from, from the, 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 the cell, you know, it tired him out. He was knackered. Um, it, was, it was Grogu, you know, he was fast asleep <laughs> on the rock. And I just think that those concepts and those, the depth of potential darkness you know, not the classic Star Wars, oh, it's dark side, it's bad. <clears throat> like the darkness in the approach, you know, the personality, I think was really well structured and just really interestingly put together. You know, it's something that can be really easily built upon later. And, and I kind of hope they don't fluff it. I hope they don't think, well, that's as bad as they're going to get. You know, I want this Martian Rowe to get worse. I want him to get badder. You know, I want to find out more about him. Um... And, and a question for you, like some of the stuff that's come through on, on online, a lot of the reviews have been a little bit, well, it's a little bit wet, it's a bit lackluster. Like, where do you think that's come from? Because I, whilst I can see that it's not a game changer, I can't see anyone believing it was a bad book. Is this, you know, is this EU stalewart? Is this people wanting what was before it? What Or is it, I, I don't know, am I missing something? What's the deal, man? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, obviously everyone's entitled to their own opinion, which is all good, but there does seem to be a, a fair few people saying that. Now, I don't see, it certainly wasn't a bad book at all. I really enjoyed it. But when you boil it down, it is just a good old disaster story, disaster and rescue story. So like you said, it's not a game changer. They're not, they're not trying to reinvent anything. Um, But I don't know, maybe it's because it, that we know through history that anything to do with star wars you make the slightest change or you introduce something slightly different it's a massive barrier for certain people certain star wars fans to get over like throughout the entire run of the mandalorian it was like when's this character going to come in when are we going to see this jedi when are we going to see that because up to that point it would have been you know the characters and everything were different it was just a different vibe different setting so that's the that's the hurdle that you have to get these fans over, I think, is that, look, it's still, like we were saying right at the beginning, it still feels very Star Wars. It's familiar, but it's just a different a different take, a different, you know, different vibe on that stuff and a different viewpoint almost. So I'm not sure why the reviews, I mean, most of it has been quite good, I think. But yeah, but there has been a, a certain batch of it. Maybe it's um, Maybe it's also just a shift that Star Wars is taking these days. I know certainly throughout the movies, you don't see that many people die explicitly other than all of the poor souls on both Death Stars. But in certainly in The Mandalorian, we've seen people being chopped and cut down and everything. And, and this book has got its fair share of darkness as well in terms of there's a lot of death, like billions of people killed, various Jedi being killed. Um, you know, so there's a lot of death, a lot of darkness. So maybe it's just, you know, people aren't, aren't settled into this new this new vantage point of, of Star Wars, maybe. I don't know. 
Yeah, that's a good point, dude. I mean, you're looking at it through a different lens, aren't you? Coming at it from a different angle. But it's one of those... <laughs> It's one of those interesting fandoms, as we've always talked about, you know, that, that you're right, you know, people are a little bit challenged by change and it's it can be very easy to, to put something down before you've let it round itself out. Um, yeah, but over, overall, I thought it was decent, man. I think Martin Rose is a very interesting person. I think um, even some of the Jedi of our Chris and, and like you said, Bel, Bel Zatifar, I think was just a, a really nice character just just a nice character you know nothing offensive you know nothing nothing blue um just really well begun do you know what i mean just mm -hmm. well begun mm -hmm. and, and and i think we'll see more and more of that and you know they even very clearly the kevan scott book which i think we've got on pre-order we'll have it on pre-order between us won't we which comes out i think in may time um mm -hmm. that that is it's they're clearly linking the two together because even in this one, it's like, get ready for book two, get ready for book two. Get... And I like that. You know, I, I, I pref I'd prefer that to happen. And, and, it, and it really just be embraced as this thing that we can really start to get behind and get into. So like, I just think, just give it a chance. Let's just give it a chance, man. Um, oh, let's see what go the deal is. Now, I know... God. <laughs> no, I read you, dude. And I think, um, yeah, we're big fans. I know you certainly are of this interconnectivity and whatnot. Yeah, and I, I think, love that. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of that, I think, as we go forward. I think each author's books and each each one of their contributions is going to is going to pilfer from the other one, which is a, not a bad thing. No. Everything, uh, if you can borrow little bits and have this big story, then it's all good. But, oh man, I'm just hoping that Loden doesn't die in the next book or whatever next thing he's in. Uh, but I'm also interested to see if his Padawan, which I think is going to be promoted to Jedi Knight now, from if I remember, mm. um, uh, Bell Zetifar. Uh, I'm hoping he's going to stage some sort of rescue mission. Go after him, get him, because his leg's pretty busted. I don't think he can do much. Old Loden, he's out of the picture for yeah. a while. He's in yeah. that prison, and it's like it's, it's the the showdown with Matching Row as well. He's, he's in that prison with him, isn't he? Mm -hmm. um, so it's not like he's just in one of the other Nile ships. He's, he's literally in that that no space. Which I know we've got to wrap up in a set, but dude, no space. <laughs> What was that? Like, is that, what is that? Some kind of pocket dimension thing? Is it a space between, I don't, what is it? Is it out in the wilds? Is it past the outer rim? Is it wild space? What is it? What do you think? Yeah, that was, it was interesting how they labeled that. You had normal space, hyperspace and, and no space. So I, I assume it's, it's some kind of little pocket thing that you can only get to via one of these paths. That's what it sounds like to me. It's like an isolated little thing that the Nihil sort of populate on their own and nobody can get to it, which is why the whole thing is just glass, invisible glass, and they can see out everywhere and they're not worried about anybody viewing, you know, what they're up to and stuff. So, but that was weird though, because that was a bit like, hmm, this is venturing into Star Trek a little bit now, a little mm. bit Doctor Who-y, a little bit Star Trek-y, but still cool though. Yeah, yeah it felt very sci-fi, whereas I know Star Wars is theoretically sci-fi, but it's, Kind of not. It's just fantasy space cowboy stuff. You know, it's space it's, opera, dude. Space opera. Yeah. It's spopera. So <laughs> it's, it's very, yeah, it did feel a bit sci fi. And that's, it's always one of those things like World Between Worlds where you're like, ah, you're getting into time travel, yo. That's a little sketchy. You know, yeah. it's a challenge. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So to wrap up then, dude, what would you give this out of 10? I would give this a solid seven, man. I would give it a solid seven. I think it, it would, it would, it would have benefited from a little bit more pace towards 
the the second third of it, um, you know, after the Hetzel stuff really kind of wrapped up. But I can't find anything wrong with it. Um, I enjoyed it. So I'd give it a seven, man. You? Yeah, cool. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. I think I'd go seven, maybe 7.5. I think it's a great start to this new era. I'm looking forward to a lot more. I think there are better stories to come. I think this is just the first dip in their toe in the water. So I think there's some awesome stuff to come. So yeah, seven, seven from him, 7.5 from me. That's all good. I think we're going to wrap there, dude. Let's put a pin in it there for episode 91. been awesome this week actually a bit of a different thing for us uh, anyone that's joined the live stream thank you so much for uh, jumping on having a look at our ugly mugs i imagine unless you know us personally our voices might not match the old face but there we go it's um yeah it's been good uh, doing it this week and obviously those of you that listen as usual on the podcast it's uh, good to have you back for another week um as always if you like what we do here on spark of rebellion we'd love to have you as a subscriber just do a search for us on whatever podcast app you get your podcasts on or head over to sparkofrebellion.com. you can find all of our shows over there we're on the socials too instagram twitter and facebook um just do a search for spark of rebellion you'll find us on there we chat star wars throughout the week uh, so come and get involved uh, over there and um if you want to support the show if you like what we do here you want to join our other uh, patrons um you can do that over on patreon.com forward slash spark of rebellion and uh you can jump onto various tiers there get yourself some swag and thank you so much to our current patrons we love you guys uh, we saw that um pascal uh, and denise uh, were on the live stream today so waving to you guys thank you very much to everybody uh next week dude episode 92 got some news i think yeah, we're back into the news vibe, aren't we, with that one? Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it's it's going to be an interesting one. We've got some Doomcock going down, <laughs> which is always fun. Um, but yeah, thanks for tuning in. I mean, the podcast is always something that we love doing, and the live stream is something that we do every Friday at 3 p.m. UK, 10 a.m. Eastern. I know we've got a lot of US listeners uh, over on the YouTube channel, and uh, we're going to be consistently developing this. If there's any ideas that you, that you want to, to see implemented, let us know. Um, if there's anything that we can do you know, to change up the show, to develop the show, do let us know. And, and I know we'll be tweaking this live stream format to make sure that um, it's not just a rehash of the podcast. But for now... Yeah, tune in every single Friday at 3pm. It's, uh, it's just a lot of fun to be able to do it. And then the podcast drops every Saturday at 12. But yeah, cheers, dude. This has been awesome. Thanks for thanks for being a, a sweet host. Yeah, you're welcome, buddy. You too. Yeah, it has been good. And uh, as long as your ideas don't involve trimming of any beards, then we are all happy for all of that feedback. So until next week, take care of yourselves and may the force be with you always.